Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, folks. My guest today is Stephen King, who is the president and CEO of GrowthForce. Stephen, how are you today? Great, Anthony. Uh, you see, I know you had to really pronounce the full Anthony there, so your New York <laughs> accident come through, but I appreciate you doing that. Hey, Anthony, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, why don't you tell us a little bit about Growth Forest, your background, how you got to where you are today, and then I'll jump into asking you some questions. Sure. Growth Forest does outsource bookkeeping, accounting, and controller services for companies that want to run better, grow faster, and make more money. And companies typically come to us because they're frustrated that they're not getting the numbers on time and they're not helping them make decisions. They worry about whether the data is correct and you know, they're got anxiety around cash flow. So, you know, when they get upset with the accounting and they know there's a better way that's automated and on their phones and timely, accurate, and most importantly, actionable, then they get a team of three people from Growth Force to help them be a full service accounting department. And how did your background as a CFO lead you into that? And how does your financial acumen tie into your decision-making as a CEO? And then we'll go. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, CFO is the key piece there, right? You know, there's a big difference between a CPA and a CFO. And I got to do both. CFOs look forward. They're strategic, right? They're chief. They're sitting with the chief executive officer to help you figuring out what does the future look like and how do we get there? And they rely on management accounting. They rely on the numbers that are show the drivers of the decisions you're trying to make. The CFO helps you do data-driven decisions. And you can't do that until you first know what the decisions are, then you know what the drivers are, and that's the stuff you want to show on a report so you can look at data to drive those decisions. So that's kind of what's the big, unique difference with Growth Force. Mm. And then, I guess, from, from your team, how in practice does being able to look forward how do you equip the businesses, small to medium, as, as moving forward, like through those financial decisions, as in our listeners have decisions they need to make, you know, yeah. what are some of the key learnings that they could take from, from being able to look at their data more effectively? Study the past to predict the future, right? You know, as a CPA, you get a, you send them an income statement and a balance sheet every month. And those are really important because they're designed for external users. They're designed for the bank to make sure that you can repay the loan or to give you a loan. They're designed for the IRS to get your pound of flesh. They're designed for investors to help see the equity. Is it going up? But they weren't designed to help you make decisions. They're not actionable. And so what we suggest is you take that income statement and you break it down to your smallest unit, whatever your unit is. 
you know, we do project-based service businesses and nonprofits. And in a project-based service business, you focus on a project as a unit, a customer as a unit. It might be, you know, if you're doing billable work by the hour, it might be a billable hour is a unit. Whatever shows up on an invoice. In manufacturing, it's going to be a widget. I just spoke to a group in Boston, a big brewery. It was, it was uh, gallons delivered was the unit, <laughs> right? Whatever your unit is, you want to look at the economics of that. You want to see the profitability. Your income minus the cost to earn the income. And the secret sauce is payroll is the biggest expense most businesses have, by far. If you look at it as a percentage of your other expenses, it's often 70 to 80%. There's nothing else in a service business. There's rent and utilities, but they're trivial compared to the cost of the people. When you add in the health insurance, the 401k, the training, the recruiting, it's the biggest part. And so the ability to take those labor costs, and instead of having them grouped in an income statement, a traditional financial report for the bank, alphabetically, and payroll is three quarters of the way down under the P's, you know, and you see payroll expenses and you see payroll taxes, you might see officers' compensation is the third breakout, maybe. You take that labor cost and you figure out which of the costs are direct costs that need to go above the line and which costs are indirect, they're overhead, and they go below the line. The line is gross profit. That's the single most important number on an income statement is your gross profit as a percentage. And if you pay a commission to a sales rep for a job, you subtract that commission from the gross profit, you get to your net profit. It's also called your contribution margin. Contribution margin is and gross profit margin are the single most important numbers to be looking at in the business because it tells you how much does each customer contribute to pay for overhead, to pay for its share of the overhead, and to generate its share of the profits. And if you know what that on a per unit basis, on a job or a customer or a billable hour or a gallons of beer delivered, if you know how much overhead has to get covered and how much profit you need to make. Now you can make data-driven decisions, the single most important data-driven decision, which is pricing. Hmm. Well, what I find really interesting about this, and so our, our listeners have you know, been listening for a lot, we talk a lot about people strategy, talk a lot about strategic planning, but I think what's important for all leaders to understand is that systems perspective of the business. It's like, you know, sometimes if you don't have that financial acumen, and you haven't developed it, then you don't exactly know what to look for. Whereas you have been trained to look exactly for, for that. And so what I want our listeners to take away is really look at, as a CEO, as a leader, how you can incorporate elevated financial decision-making, how you can look at driving the profitability and better understanding what drives profitability, and then recognizing that your business is a system, including all of those inputs. And, and that makes the difference. Well, most people don't know that. I mean, Anthony, you really say something that's critical because they, you know, they don't teach you this in high school, right? They don't teach you this. Even if you go to business school, they don't teach you this small business school, right? That's what we need is a small business school. These are the best practices that the Fortune 1000 implemented, right? The, you know, I was at Ernst & Young. I was a manager of accounting system design. That's where we learned this whole methodology. And, and now, thanks to QuickBooks and the ecosystem that they've built, this is all available to small businesses. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to QuickBooks. I'm a big fan of QuickBooks. Yeah. Love to have you on here, but it's, it's interesting because 
you're a product of your environment of how you grew up. Like I sold concert tickets, you know? And so I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I know that I need to sell this thing for 10 bucks and I need to get a hundred people or I lose money. Like that's my widget. If I'm selling beer, I was a waiter. It's like, this is how much money I make 50 cents a beer on a tip. I need to know that stuff and yes. the difference between fixed and variable. But if you never live it, it doesn't enter your consciousness. One thing I was going to say, what I thought was interesting is you had mentioned your Vistage group. Yeah. And what is your experience as a CEO being part of those groups when you get to see other CEOs have to sort of reflect on a monthly or bi-monthly basis on like a core issue? What does that bring up to you as you reflect on your own business and leadership? Oh, it's really clear. Um, you know, we, for me, I'm very vocal about this. The single most biggest return on investment I get of all the money I spend is Vistage. And I've told this to the people at Insperity, and they're our biggest strategic alliance partner. But Vistage helps me grow from being a entrepreneur to being a CEO, helping me think strategically to work on the business and truly be asked the hard questions and be able to be share your fears, uncertainties, and doubts with people who have your back, who have become part of your family. I'm, I just finished 15 years. I've been with people for 15 years who, if anything happens to me, my wife and my management team knows, call Robin Stanley and my Vistage chair. She'll know exactly what to do. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and EO New York, EO is great. I've got a lot of friends who are in EO and, in, and the EO New York group in particular, I, I have a lot of clients from. That's exactly what you do is you get advice and counsel from peers. We're also big fans of EOS, the Entrepreneurial Organizing System. You know, you need help. It's, it's lonely at the top. There's, you know, can't tell your management team, your wife, your assistant, all your fears, uncertainties, and doubts. <laughs> well, it's what all of those things, actually, I point to a system and a structure, a process, you know, setting habits, setting recurring things, and being able to look outside. I'm going to shout out to McKay CEO Forums up in Canada and the US, actually, but really having somebody to look externally at what you're dealing with. So maybe before I jump into your experience as a CEO, what was your experience as a, as a CPA and somebody who had to externally look at somebody's finances and say, hey, I can tell your numbers tell a story. What are some of your key learnings from numbers telling a story? You know, it was, that's not the job. Uh, you know, when I, I had my own CPA firm after Ernst and the job is compliance, right? The job is to make sure that you're not paying any penalties. The job is to make sure that you're not getting any letters with red letter writing on them from, from government bureaus and to minimize the amount of money that you send to the government. So all of the analysis is primarily about tax planning. You know, management accounting is not a CPA's job. It's a CMA's. You know, we have more CMA's than CPA's here in our company because management accounting is unit economics and the biggest expense is people. So this is about understanding how people drive profits is what management accounting is all about. Setting clear written goals and cascading those company goals down to the department and the department to the team. Harvard did a landmark case study that said the simple act of writing down goals increases your likelihood of success by 83%. So if everybody in the company has a line of sight between what they do and what success is, then they're not going to let the team down. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is what the, the, the surprising result of the Harvard study was. People need to belong to something bigger than themselves. And work is our identity. It's a really important place to be successful in, to feel good about myself when my feet hit the ground and my stocking feet every day. And so if I understand what success is, I'm going to do whatever it takes, especially if I'm part of a team, I'm not going to let my team down. 
how did you, if there is an origin story here, transitioning from air quotes, a numbers guy to a people guy and like really recognizing like the importance of a people strategy as it relates yeah. to business success? I made, I made some very expensive mistakes. <laughs> so I started a company called Virtual Growth in 1995 when Netscape 1.0 came in. In that little accounting practice I had, I thought, oh, my client's books are a mess. I wish I could outsource this and just me be the CFO and advise people. Instead, I have to make sure the sales tax return is right because it's my name on it. Nobody wants to pay me more than 45 bucks an hour for that kind of work. When Netscape came out, I thought I could do that over the web. So we, we raised $43 million from Bessemer and Citibank and you know some blue chip VC firms. And I grew it to about 250 people. And at one point looked around, we were, uh, we were actually in the Irish theater on 22nd street in a manager meeting. And I looked around and I thought, oh my God, who are these people? I don't like them all. This guy doesn't trust that guy. He's stabbing everybody in the back. There's silos galore. What have I done? How did this happen? And, and, you know, we hired Hydric and Struggles and we got, you know, paid big money to tier one names. The, my management team was great. I, my, my 10 people were the best part of the company, but the middle management, the people they hired did not have a culture or alignment around core values. And so one of our uh, investors was, and Paul Savardi was on my board. And after September 11th, our whole house of cards fell down. Citibank shut down their venture capital group. And Bessemer says, oh, well, we're out if they're out. And the whole thing got rescued from the ashes from Insperity, where they, they picked up what was left, moved me and my company to Kingwood, Texas. And I started Administaff Financial Management Services. And I walked in to their beautiful building. At the time, they were about a $3, $4 billion business. They're a $5 billion business now. And I walked in and I thought, oh, my God, everybody here is happy. Everybody loves what they do. Nobody quits and they're all busy and they're all working hard. And I reported to the CEO of a $4 billion HR company. And I, I missed an important step. My father-in-law, John Stern, was executive vice president of human resources at Sony. So when I married Trish Stern, I suddenly had an HR expert in the family. And he was on the board of virtual growth with Paul Savardi. And so every time I went to Trish's house, I got a board meeting on the people side and the management side. So I learned from John Stern what a human capital strategy is. And then I learned from Paul Savardi and Insperity how you execute it in small businesses. And so, you know, we came up with this five steps that we applied to growth for us. And we've got a, a webinar on it. Step one is why do you exist? What is your unique selling proposition? What is a reason why somebody would hire you? Step two is culture by design. So what are the behaviors and the core values that you will be successful in your company based on why you exist? What is the value? What is your, what is your mission and your vision from step one? Then what behaviors will be successful to achieve that mission, that vision? So for us, we do outsource bookkeeping, accounting, and controller services. We hire people who are passionate about serving small businesses. We look for accountability. They do what they say. They'll say what they do. They're resourceful. They're going to figure it out. And they want to be part of a team. 
And so we recruit for those behaviors and those core values and not the skills to pay the bills. We can teach them QuickBooks easily, but I can't teach somebody to have snap, to be a problem solver, to be innovative. And so that's the core culture by design step. Can I ask you a question just about your culture really quick? Yeah. Uh, since you guys are doing stuff remotely, is everybody in Texas in your company or are they in different locations across the, the U.S. or abroad? We, we have we have just under 60 people. We have 50 of them are here in King in Kingwood, Texas, which is northeast Houston. We have an 18,000 square foot service center. But because my last company was called Virtual Growth, from the very first day I started Growth Force, we were a virtual business as well. So it's a hybrid. And, you know, we had to anyhow, because, you know, King uh, Houston floods. So, you know, you got it. You want to get out of town and go to your sister in San Diego? Go ahead. Everything's virtual. But we believe the culture for us, you know, we the acronym for us is SMART, right? We have SNAP, which means we want problem solvers who are innovators. We have meaning. We do. We love this. We wake up every day and say we get to serve small businesses. We get to do accounting. We're accountable. We do what we say. We say what we do. We're resourceful and we have teamwork. So that's the, the core thing. And what Insperity taught us to do, we became a client. We, once after September 11th, Insperity stock tanked, Wall Street said you can't diversify and outsourced accounting. And so we spun it off and I became a partner with Insperity. And then I became a client of Insperity. So I really learned how to unleash the power of that human capital, both a, as an actual client. And the first thing they did after we got to about six or eight people say is, which employee embodies those core values the most. And, and everybody in the company knows this story. And I pointed to a bookkeeper who was with us for about a year, who was going to school at Sam's at Houston State University at night, who was the life of the company. She had problem solvers. She loved coming to work every day. She would stand at my door and say, you asked me to do three things. I can only get two done. What do I do with the other one? She was accountable. She was resourceful. She'd come in and say, you know what I found? And she always was a team player. She would go around to this five or six other people and say, what are we doing for lunch? By 9.30. We had Chinese yesterday. How about Italian? Does everybody want Italian? Uh, all right. Which Italian now? By 10 o'clock, we were all going to lunch together. We looked at Marsha Gibb, who was our bookkeeper at the time, who's now 14 years later, our director of onboarding. And we built the, the persona around our ideal behavior employee. And then once we worked backwards from there, the rest fell into place. I actually am so curious about that because we talk about culture so much and we talk about like culture eats strategy for breakfast, which everybody's heard, which is true. How did you find that the embodiment of that culture supported your growth? Like how do we tie that people, that soft people stuff, soft, that's hard to actually like, hey, you got 60 people, like that's a huge, huge win for a lot of people. How did you see that decision to personify those values translate to the company growth? You know, what's really fascinating is, again, I'm a data junkie, right? So I really study the, the financial impact of people. On average, according to a salary.com study, there's two hours wasted every day. When I do my Vistage speaking, some of the people have you've been in my office, nothing gets done before lunch. And the cost of that and the cost of turnover are the two where places where there's a big difference between the high performing team and the low performing team. The AICPA did a study. They said 68% of the value of a company is its people. 
It's the relationships with the customer and the supplier. It's the understanding of the strategic vision of the leaders and the ability to execute that vision. It's the intellectual property, the technology, the systems, the forms. Every company is built on tribal knowledge. So when a member of the tribe leaves, so does the knowledge. And so they wanted to require the AICPA, the American Institute of CPAs, wanted to require a footnote disclosure on publicly held companies on employee turnover, because the car, there's a direct correlation between companies that have low turnover and their profit margins. It's not just the cost, the direct cost, you know, the agency fees and the, you know, you have to buy ads and you have recruiting time and, you, you know, you have to pay uh, PTO as people are walking out the door and premiums to the people who are covering overtime. And then, you know, it's all these indirect costs, you know, the, the lost productivity when all of a sudden the team shuts down. I, I remember what happened to me when somebody was like, holy crap, they went to work, go work as, as an accountant for the school district. And they got, you know, five, same price, but they got Christmas off and they got a week, it's two weeks in the summer. And I lost everybody working because you're now having to get employee engaged again. And then you got to train those people. You take your most expensive person, your best person out of building at Bell hours and put them hopefully not in a windowless conference room for two weeks to teach them the new guy or girl, the ropes. And that's double the cost of payroll and no revenue coming in. It's, it's typically, I've calculated for me, 200% of the salary of a middle manager. So if I'm paying, if I lose a $65,000 person, then you know, it's going to cost me 130 grand. And, and a small change in that, you know, the math is, is pretty amazing. Like, you know, we had 21% turnover. The accounting industry averages is, uh, is 21. We were right on average because we're all stealing from each other. There's not enough knowledge workers to do all the work. When you change that from by 20% a year, we got it down then to 16%. So, you know, instead of us losing eight people, right now we're losing six people. I calculated cost saved me 90 five to $100,000. And then when we did it again, the next year got it down to 12%, another 20% reduction, we saved $192,000. And by recruiting, right, the reason why people terminate, and there's, two, there's a difference between planned turnover and unplanned turnover. If somebody doesn't fit the core values, get rid of them as fast as possible. I'm talking about unplanned turnover. When somebody walks in and says, I got bad news, you're not gonna be happy. They're, they're an earner, right? They're an earner, you can't lose an earner. So the way to keep them after you recruit them is give them clear written goals, okay? report actual results. That's, so that's step three, right? Getting goal alignment, setting goals and writing them down increases your chance of success. And then report actual against those in step four so that everybody understands where they stand. What management monitors gets done. My favorite business book is Traction by Gino Wickman and the entrepreneur organizing system. And so, you know, whatever you want to get done, set a budget because the budget will increase success. People will give you that discretion everywhere because they want to let you down and then track the actuals. And finally, in step five, the most important, recognize and reward. You can get a big ROI when you add a financial reward and you recognize people based on their performance. Gallup did a study that said that the companies with the top earnings per share are the ones that have tied their employee recognition and increased their employee engagement. They have earnings per share four 
times the rate of companies that don't. This is not just somebody making me, Stephen King's CPA, saying you should do this. There's data that backs it up. You know, recognition and reward, it's staggering. You, I love this statistic I'm going to share with you. If you combine reward recognition and your employee engagement, you'll get 63% increased productivity. That translates, according to this Society of Human Resource Managers report, that translates to 58% return on profit margin. And how do you get that? 52% increase in customer retention. Why? Because happy employees create happy clients. Happy clients stay for a long time. People who stay for a long time make you a lot of money. And then the reason why you have an increase in customer retention is because this gets you a 51% increase in employee retention. So I'm, I'm going to jump in because you covered just so much stuff and just there's a lot of numbers here, but okay. So five steps. Why do you exist and your unique selling proposition, unique value proposition? The culture by design, setting those core values that will drive the fulfillment of that USP. Setting clear goals, making sure that you're actually playing the game with the scoreboard, reporting actual against the goals, so actually putting that in place, and then recognizing and rewarding behavior, because that's the important part. One of the things I really want to highlight for everybody, you know, we facilitate strategic planning sessions. Some people say, hey, why should I do this planning? You know, it's like, oh, it costs money. Like, it just costs money, not a lot of money, it just costs money. And it's like, the, what's the cost of not doing it? What's the cost right. of losing people? What's the cost right. of not having them engaged? And, right. and you said it a bunch of times. It's not necessarily all the other stuff. It's the engagement and the focus towards those things that really drives the numbers. I have two questions for you before we finish up, okay? One of them was, what do you do to foster the culture of that tracking and that like the desire to follow data. Cause some people see it as like micromanagement. They see it as like reporting versus it sounds like your company's embraced it and they like enjoy being held to that standard. Can you speak yeah. to how you've done that practically? Yeah, because of step five, recognition and reward. It's the most important of the five steps. It, we, we, to go, go back through that math, if you, if you increase your employee retention, you'll increase your customer retention, which will increase your gross profit margins, which will increase everything, right? So the way to get discretionary effort, the way to get people to act like owners is to be able to clarify what's in it for them when the company does well. And to have demonstrate a track record of sharing in the success. So for example, I love 401ks the best because it's so measurable, right? We just had a company meeting last week, Friday, and we lined out, we follow the EOS system. So, so step three was the goal. We shared a 10-year plan, a three-year plan, a three-year vision of what that looks like, and then a one-year plan. And then the rocks, four rocks for the whole company that we're going to do to accomplish the one, three, and 10-year goals. And we went through what is, we, we went through what is our mission, what is our vision, what is our core values, as step one, two, and three. We follow these five steps every company meeting. But the annual one is different because in step five, we line out, okay, here's our goal. We want to increase our profit from X to Y. How we want to do that? We want to increase our gross profit from Y to Z. And if we do that, here's what's going to happen. For example, we're at 4% 401k. I want to be at 6%. That's the max that we're allowed. 
it's based on how much profit we make. So if we achieve certain goals, then we add another percent and another percent. And for those of you who are in your early 30s with your first and second child, that extra 2% is going to add up to a lot when you get your 25-year anniversary with Growth Force. We have profit sharing. And so when there is profit, we share it. The managers share more than the staff. We have forecasted how many more people we're going to hire. We don't want to be 200 people. I did that. I want to have a happy company where everybody loves coming to work every day and not have to worry about managing hyper growth. So we don't take every client, but we are going to hire 35 people. And so that creates manager jobs that don't exist, director jobs that don't exist. And the leaders of our company are in the room right now is my constant message. This is a company where you can build your career, not just get a job. It's on our website. We're called Growth Force for a reason because, and even if you don't get promoted, you're going to learn something new every day. We're a learning organization. And so what's in it for you is critical to tying the whole thing to the human capital strategy and the financial management strategy. You know, I probably should have summarized this, Anthony, at the beginning. You know, the big lesson I got from those virtual growth days is you can have a financial management strategy, but if you don't also have the human capital, you're not going to make it. We tie it together where the financial management strategy fits back into the human capital is in the reward and recognition side. And recognition is more important than, than reward. You know, Maslow, you have to get your basic needs of safety. You have to pay someone a salary that allows them to lose the lifestyle they've grown accustomed to. They have to have the benefits to feel safe. But what we our need to belong and then our need for self-esteem and self-actualization is way more important. And so what we also try to do is we take, we have a kudos. This is another insperity tip. doesn't cost you a dime. Most managers are taught to catch somebody doing something wrong. That's what my managers at Virtual Growth did. They were jerks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, look what I saw this guy do it and stab him in the back. Instead, we teach our managers to celebrate catching somebody doing something right. We have a kudos at growthforce.com email. And every time somebody finds somebody enabling or embodying our culture, snap, meaning accountability, resourceful, or team, that send a message, either from a client or about a client. And then we put all those, what, what Gina Wickman says in traction is what management monitors gets done. Employee retention is our number one thing. Number one, employee engagement is number one measure of that. Kudos is our number one measure of employee engagement. So we have a contest. We put the name of the person who submitted the kudo because we want to encourage that. And the person who, who got it and pull out their name and give them a prize. But more importantly, we take the kudos and organize them by core value at every meeting. And we review the people who did it so they get to tell a story in front of the whole company, get some recognition about how we worked with our client as being meaningful or resourceful or snap. So it's fun to recognize. That's the key. Well, I appreciate that. And I want to acknowledge, I mean, that's the future of leadership is no longer going to be that mandated cracking the whip from my perspective is especially as you have, you know, younger, like different changing workforce needs and wants, you know, being able to do that. And, and just for our own listeners, how long do you think it took you to get to where you are right now? I, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. I'm, I'm, you don't I'm, have to go as far as that. Okay. I'll, we'll I'll tell leave you right it now. At that. I tell you right now, <laughs> I'm 60. 
Okay, I would say this has happened in, oh, I know, I hired my chief operating officer, Loretta Mormino, seven years ago. That's when we got it right. And this is also traction. When you have an integrator, so that the visionary does the visionary job and the integrator runs the company, That when I when I did that is really when I started to see it embody the whole thing. But, you know, that's 40 years of mistakes right there. <laughs> well, the reason that I share that, and you've just been super gracious, this whole interview is that, you know, for all of us listening, there's people listening that are 20 in their first jobs and they're, you know, they're doing whatever they need to do. And then there's CEOs that are 60 or 70 or whatever. And I really just want to highlight for everybody that all the stuff that Stephen is talking about, it's not an overnight thing. It is literally a, a decades long transformation in leadership. It's, you know, seven year transformation within the organization that obviously didn't just start at that seven year. And I encourage everybody to take one or two things, whether it's that five-step model, whether it's looking at data, whether it's setting KPIs that really like measure performance, whether that's finding what's in it for them and tying it to, you know, having those aligned vision around, hey, what's good for them is good for the company. Like something, put it together over the next three, four, five, six weeks, whatever it is, and, and double down and double down and double down. And that's how you create a great culture. That's how you make money. That's how you create a team that stays and really drives those client contributions. So Stephen, I just give you the, the final word here. What do you want our uh, leaders, listeners to take away from what we've shared and, and anything else that you think would be relevant for them to know? And I'll just say raging incrementalism. That's what you just described. Bob Goodman, who is the partner at Bessemer for our, our deal, taught me that. And every day, every week, every month, just get a little bit better. And next thing you know, you'll turn around at age 60 and you figured it out. <laughs> Perfect. Just an overnight success that took 40 years. I love it. Where can people get a hold of you on the internet or if they're in Texas? Sure, you can stop by and visit us virtually on the website, www.growthforce.com. We share a lot of helpful advice and we can answer, happy to answer any questions anytime on, I got a chat box there. Email is the best way to reach me. It's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at growthforce.com or our website, www.growthforce is G-R-O-W-T-H force.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Stephen King CPA and Twitter, S King G force. Perfect. And one of the things that you had shared with me earlier is to make your life better. You're on podcast. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I've got a Path to Profits podcast where I, I interview successful business owners and kind of pick their brain on how did they get from struggling with cash flow and breaking even to living that American dream and having the money in the bank. So connect with Stephen if you want to, well, just connect with him more. And if you host the podcast, have him on. I'm sure it'll make his day. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're so welcome. Stephen, thank you for, for sharing with us. It's been such a blast. And I know that in my own leadership journey, that raging incrementalism, I think it is, I hope yeah. don't mispronounce that. That's it. Uh, but I'm going to take that forward and just give me a lot to share here. So thank you so much for your time and your generosity today. It's been a pleasure. Me too. Thanks. Folks, my guest today has been Stephen King, who's the president and CEO of Growth Force. So if you've got some people on your team that you want to develop into leaders, do you want to really embrace getting a team that's going to last and get you there far and fast? Be sure to play them this podcast. If you're new here, be sure to like and subscribe. I hope you enjoyed it. Looking forward to sharing more content with you. My name is Anthony Taylor from SME Strategy. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast with my guest, Stephen King. Thanks for joining us and until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. 
before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus, you can use the code podcast for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.